The scripture this morning is <coughs> from Ephesians 4, verse 32, and then the first couple of verses in chapter 5. <coughs> Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, in this morning time, it is a delight to gather as people that love you and know you. Uh, we want to be challenged by your word. We want to be changed by it. May your Holy Spirit be present, convict and change us. We desire that with all our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to introduce our, our speaker. Uh, Pastor Mark is not here. Uh, I, there's a, we have a sister church, uh, South Minneapolis. Uh, uh, I can't think of the Apple Valley. Yes, Apple Valley Baptist Church. They uh, asked Pastor Mark to come and preach there, and so he's going to do that. He's going to have a translator there that's going to help him through that, and uh, so we're excited that Pastor Mark has this opportunity to do that, um, and yet, so we have a, a guest speaker here, Eddie, he, he's been here before, Eddie is, uh, hails from India, and he's a pastor of a church there, uh, his wife and two girls are here, uh, and they are, the church there has funded him to come here to the United States for seminary training, and so for three years he's here, uh, and uh, uh, there's a school through uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church that are supporting him as well, and uh, so he's he is here to be taught and going to be involved in teaching and training when he gets back to India. Uh, I don't know how long he's still going to be here in America. Two years. Two more years. Okay, uh, and. Uh, so we're excited that he's here um, with his wife, Lauren, and Allie and Mia. So, Eddie, welcome. Thank you. Morning. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and then 5 verses 1 and 2. That's a strange thing to do to preach from a text over two chapters, but when Paul wrote it, he didn't have chapter numbers in mind, so he's just got these ideas that are together, and sometimes they overflow chapters. As Christians, we value being forgiven and forgiving others. It just is a Christian value and we acknowledge that we are to be kind and tender-hearted. So my aim this morning is not to convince you that you ought to do so. I'm assuming you value these things and you know that that is what a Christian does. And so I'm, I'm not going to try and convince you what my aim will be is to stir you to do what you already value as a Christian by way of reminder 
and hopefully that encourages you to do what you already believe you should. So what I'm going to do to begin with is I'm going to reword what was just read, those verses, in the style, the familiar style of John 3.16. You remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, we, we know that verse. Now this is my rendition of Ephesians 4.32-5.2 to in that style, the style of John 3.16. For Christ so loved us, the church, that he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, that God in Christ forgave you and received you as his beloved child and treated you with kindness and tenderheartedness. So you, beloved child, walk in love. That is, imitate God. Having seen the text, having heard it being read, looking at it in your Bibles as I speak, and hearing it again in another style, you should catch by this time five foundational truths that are given in this text. They're the bedrock on which the commands are built. And, and these five foundational truths are these. Number one, Jesus' love for the church. Second, Jesus' act on behalf of the church, his sacrificial death. Third, God's acceptance of the sacrifice as sufficient for forgiveness. Fourth, God's acceptance of his enemies, sinners, as his sons and daughters. Fifth, God's lavishing of his kindness and tenderheartedness towards his sons and daughters. These are five foundational truths. They're just a given in this text. I'm going to show you each of them just so that you know where to find them. You've sung each one of these truths in the songs already. It's been on your screen in form of trivia already. So I'm not trying to convince you of these. I'm saying they're there. I'm just showing you where they are. First, Jesus' love for the church. That's in 5 verse 2. Second, Jesus' act on behalf of the church, his sacrificial death. Again, 5 verse 2. Third, God's acceptance of the sacrifice as sufficient for forgiveness. 5 verse 2 as well as 4 verse 32. God's acceptance of his enemies as his sons and daughters. 5 verse 1. Finally, God's lavishing of his kindness and tenderheartedness towards his sons and daughters. 4 verse 32. That's the lay of the land. These are given in the text. Paul is not trying to convince you, neither am I, that this has happened. It's the gospel message. These are treated as foundational events based on which the gospel proclamation is being made, based on which the gospel went out to you, based on which the gospel is going out to you. So these, these are right at the bottom of this text. Everything else is built on these truths. 
These are believed. You believe them, you're a Christian. If you don't believe them, I invite you to believe them. Because without believing them, there is, there is no Christianity in us. There, the, every layer of religion then makes no sense. This must be believed. So with these truths in mind then, let us observe the text to understand the command, be imitators of God in 5 verse 1. Be imitators of God. That's the main command. There are three in this text, but that's the main one. Imitate God. Be imitators of God. It can be translated also as become imitators of God. If you're not already being imitators of God, it's a kind of person you ought to be. And in each of our verses today, you'll see how this is fleshed out. In each of our verses, it's explained or fleshed out with the word as. A-S. Each of, your, each of the words, it's there in 432 once, it appears in 5 verse 1 once, and it appears in 5 verse 2 once. In verse 32, it says, as God in Christ forgave you. In verse 1, as beloved children. And in verse 2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that little word appears three times in our text. Now, Although the word as is a sufficient translation, I don't think it's a bad translation at all. Sometimes, if we're not paying attention, we're not careful enough, we might think they all have the same sense, which it does not. Two of them have a different sense, and the one in the middle is different from those two. All right? Uh, if you look at any other modern English translation, all, all your text up there was the ESV. You're reading ESV. I see your pew Bibles here are ESV. I'm using the ESV. But if you looked at any other modern translation, uh, the Legacy Bible, the New International, the uh, New American Standard, they don't use the word as in all three instances. In verse 32, they translate it as just as. And again in 5 verse 2, that word is translated as just as. Which means it's a comparison. So the word as here is a comparison. Just like Jesus did something or just like God the Father did something, Likewise, you too. So that's what's going on with that word as. But in verse 1, when it says as beloved children, that's, that, uh, that translation is fairly good. It, it stands for an identity. Since you are beloved children, imitate God. The way children imitate their parents. As beloved children. So that's, that as stands for an identity. The as in verse 32 and in verse 2 stands for comparison. I want to make that clear so you can see what's going on in this text. So let's consider the acts of God the Father and of Jesus in these verses. 
the just as statements teaches the foundational truths that I mentioned earlier. When God the Father, Son, and Spirit determined to redeem the church, chapter 1 says, before the foundation of the world, we sang that today, Jesus' action in that eternal willing of God is described as his love for the church. And it came to pass in the fullness of time. Jesus came in the flesh. He lived here on earth and he died on the cross for us. His love for the church. Remember, God loved the church. He sent his son. Right? This is God acting in unison, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this text, we're talking about the Son's love for the church. Jesus loved the church. He died for her. Now here's the thing. Jesus' death was not an ordinary execution. For the Romans it was. It was a criminal execution for them. For the Jews, it was a way to get rid of someone they did not like. But that's not what was happening as far as Jesus is concerned, as far as God is concerned, as far as we are concerned. The Bible describes his execution, his death, as a sacrifice and an offering. That's what we see here in verse 2. The same truth is repeated in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, where the author there is quoting Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. All of these are, are connected in God's love for the church in sending his son, in Christ dying on behalf of the church, his incarnation. That's what he's talking about. That's what I meant by it. these are foundational truths. The command to imitate comes later. What happened is more important. They determine how much you will obey and in what manner you will obey. So that's what's going on. Jesus' death, his, his sacrifice is like the Old Testament temple sacrifice of animals. is done on behalf of sin to appease the wrath of God so that his justifiable wrath against sin, the punishment we deserve would be forgiven, would be taken away. In the Old Testament, we talk about the sin offering, the burnt offering, and, and it, God describes that, those offerings, as a pleasing sacrifice, a fragrant, a pleasing aroma, a fragrant offering. And that's the word that's used here again in Ephesians. A sacrifice, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To be nailed on the cross a humiliating bloody death is compared to a fragrant offering and sacrifice because Jesus' death was not an ordinary execution. The cross was an altar. Jesus was the Lamb of God that was sacrificed on behalf of us. That's what it's talking about. It was an atonement that was being made. Here's the other thing. The atonement must be in accordance with God's word or else God has the right to not accept it, 
just, that's not right. You can't come with strange fire. If you're not authorized, you can't touch the ark. God determines whether or not he would receive that sacrifice. And he did. Because verse 32 says, God in Christ forgave you. This atonement, Jesus' sacrifice, if it were not accepted by the Father, we would all be in our sin. In fact, there would be no gospel message here. There would be no church here. None of us would be gathering here. But if we did, and God has not accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, we're wasting our times. We're to be pitied more than all the people on the planet. But God indeed accepted Jesus' sacrifice as sufficient, able to forgive my sins, your sins, each one of your sins, and everybody else's, whoever comes to him in Jesus' name. God's accepting of the sacrifice speaks of his justice. Not only is a sacrifice required, but that he requires it rightly and he received it. A substitutionary sacrifice, making sure that he punishes the sin as well as receives a payment and then says, I've been paid in full, I forgive. He does that. It speaks of his justice. His act of saying, it's paid for, is true and is what we believe so that we receive forgiveness. Now all of this, these beautiful truths can seem very heady or something that we've heard and we know is true and we can sing, but it's got to come home. In our hearts, it's got to make sense. It's got to be real. And for years, I, I have a mental image of how all of this fits together at least for me in my heart and mind so I have this mental image it's a scene of a courtroom not an American courtroom an Indian courtroom all right it's not all fancy they're not suited up and sitting free until they're proven guilty there's a dock the one who's accused is in cuffs there's an advocate there's a prosecutor, there's a judge. And I'm in trouble. The prosecutor is the accuser of the brothers. The father of liars, but for once he's speaking all truths. Everything he says about me is true. I have done it, and I'm doubly in trouble. Because not only have I done it, but all my wrongs are against the judge himself. What judge would ever declare a sentence in my favor and says, you're free? That's impossible. I've done it all. And as I hang my head in shame, my advocate speaks up. He picks this old, ancient book I don't even know what it is. He takes this as evidence. He presents it to the judge. As he opens it, I see 
writings on it as I peek through it. It, it looks like it's written in blood. He points to my name. He points to the cross. He points to his nail prints. The judge makes his decision. I'm free. Just like that. It's all paid for. That is the image that I have. In place of fearful judgment, mercy, forgiveness, because someone paid for it. If that's your Jesus, you have that forgiveness. You receive that forgiveness. If you have not believed in Jesus, I invite you to believe in him. Talk to me, talk to anyone who was here, talk to other people in this church. If someone's invited you here, talk to them. Know that forgiveness. A Christian is one who's experienced that forgiveness of God. But here's the thing. You're also commanded to forgive likewise. And, and, and that's the hard part. To forgive one another. Now let's get this straight before you think, wait, wait, that's hard. What about, can we forgive? And then you think about the worst sinner, the worst kinds of sins. And if, if that's what's going on in your mind, stop your mind from going in that direction. That's the work of the devil. In this text, it is, verse 32, forgiving one another. It's talking to people, members of the church, one another, the people around you. That's the kind of forgiveness you're called to extend to one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. What does that mean? What does it mean to forgive one another? It's believing the same truths about Jesus, but instead of for yourself, it's believing it on behalf of your brother or your sister. That's what forgiveness is. It's the same courtroom scene. You're not the accused. Your brother or sister is. They have the same advocate you have. They have the same book as evidence, the same cross. Your role in that courtroom is to imitate. The text says, imitate God. The question I place before you is, would you imitate the accuser or the judge? That's what forgiveness boils down to. Who will you imitate? Now here's the thing. We not only were forgiven. I was not forgiven by the judge and said, go, now don't show me your face ever again. But I was invited into his family. He showed me kindness and he was tender toward me. That word kindness comes from kindredness to treat another like family. If you're in a family, you've been raised in a family, you have a family, you know what it's like. 
It's always someone or the other doing something or the other that gets you. And you can get mad at them. But that doesn't mean you ask them to get out or you walk out. You still love them. Annoying as it may be. God's not that way. He loves and he loves perfectly. And he invites us into his family and treats us with kindness, with, a, with, a, with love that belongs to family members, with tenderness. And he says, now imitate me in treating fellow brothers and sisters likewise, just as I did in Christ to you, you do to your brothers and sisters. So imitate God. And every, everyone around you in this world, in this society is going to say, imitate the accuser. Show them. Get your pound of flesh from them. You deserve it. But you ask this question, did Jesus die for their sin as well? And if the problem is this, you're either thinking that Jesus' death was sufficient for you because you're nice, or Jesus' death, his blood is sufficient for them because his blood is valuable. It ultimately comes down to what you believe about yourself and about Jesus. Do you value his blood? Then we extend forgiveness to our brothers and sisters because his blood has covered for that sin. If we don't think so, then we think we're good enough, therefore Jesus died for me. That's that's the lie that we believe. That's why it's hard to forgive brothers and sisters. But we treat them with tenderheartedness and kindness. And that's just the first half of what God did. Because in verse 2, we are called to walk in love, not just to imitate God, but to walk in love just as Christ loved us and sacrificed himself on our behalf. That's another comparison. And what that comparison means for us then is, what do you do with the wrong that your brother and sister has done for you? Has done against you? What do you do with that? Who pays the price for that? Spiritually, Jesus paid it all. But what about the loss you suffered? Imitate Jesus. You bear it. And that's the harder part about forgiving. On the one hand, it's, I will not hold it against you. But on the other hand, I will not require it of you either to make restitution. I will lay down my life. I will receive the pain that I want you to receive. I will do as my elder brother did. I will let it go. Forgiveness is never cheap, never has been, never is, never will be. Someone bears the price. We, we live in God's world. He is holy and just. Someone bears the price. The question is, who will? The world around us today says, you must seek it. You must seek justice. The Bible says so too. The question is, who's going to pay for it? Our text says, imitate God. We bear it. 
we bear the price. We say, I will bear the pain. I will take the cost up so that you may experience the forgiveness that I have experienced. I'm not going to hold it against you. How do we do this? We do this from our identity as beloved children. Because we have received love, we give love. We share that love with others. At this point, we may wonder, I don't have enough love to give. It's painful. I probably need more love. And that is not the right way to think. You don't need more love. All of the love of heaven has been given to you when Jesus was sent to die for you. You don't require more love. You just need to contemplate on that same love. Know how much you have been loved and that will expand your heart to love others. Know that love. Those foundational truths are important. Meditate on them. As you sing them, as you hear the word read to you, as you hear sermons, know what God has done. Let that transform your heart and your mind and be reminded that you have been loved so that you can love. You have been forgiven and it is because of that you're being asked to forgive. You're not being asked to do something which has not been done for you, has not been demonstrated to you, or is impossible to do. Our problem is we're imitating the persons we should not be imitating. We're listening to voices that we should not be listening to. We're not living under the shadow of the cross. That's our problem. And therefore, when we ask ourselves, what does it mean to walk in love? That's where we should turn to. That's why one of the hymn writers writes, Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Allow me to contemplate. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow over me. We contemplate on the cross and we let the cross dictate how we treat our brothers and sisters. Not only do we contemplate on the cross, but we allow our brothers and sisters also to demonstrate that love for us. How does that love come? Sometimes in the form of a rebuke. Sometimes in the form of forgiveness. And as we see our brothers and sisters forgiving one another, speaking God's word to one another, even encouraging and rebuking one another, we see the love of God being demonstrated and we learn from it. We receive it and we allow it to work in our heart and we spread it. Because everything that I just said, I read out our text, it stands in the shadow of its previous verse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Then but be kind to one another. It's an instead of doing that, do this. Paul was not all love and kind. When we think love and kind, we probably think sweet, nice. That's not what it is. It's a form of strength that says, I will bear the pain. 
and I will extend forgiveness and love like my father did. I will love like my older brother does. I will be a loving Christian because I am a beloved child of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love by which you sent your son into this world to live a life that's holy, perfect, that we may believe in him and have eternal life. And we thank you, Jesus, for your love for us by which, because of which you laid down your life for us before God as a sacrifice so that our sins would be taken away and that we would be received as children adopted into the family of God. And now we have received this adoption and, and this beautiful inheritance and more than that, we recognize that we're not the only ones who have received it, but so have our brothers and sisters around us. Help us, Lord, to recognize that together we have fellowship with one another and with the Father and the Son. So help us, Lord, to extend your family traits of love, kindness, tenderheartedness, holiness, justice, forgiveness, the way you describe it in your word, to one another. May we be good representatives of your family values with one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.